Welcome to Money Talk with Tiff, a podcast where we discuss everything money from tips and tricks to current events. Follow me on my journey to become debt-free and meet other cool people along the way. I am your host, Tiffany Grant. Now let's talk money. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. I'm so excited because today is actually my one-year podcasting anniversary, yay, and I also have a guest on. I have Dr. Amber Brown. She is a physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy, and a women's health clinical specialist. She's the founder and owner of Root Physical Therapy and Wellness, a safe space to learn about the root causes of your concern as well as Care For You First, a community for health and wealth tips and accountability. Hey, doctor, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So I have never, well, I, I, I take that back. I have had a doctor on, but I've never had a health doctor on before. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let me make sure that's clear. And so I want to dive in like your story is amazing and awesome. And I want to dive in into how health and wealth intersects because like I said, I've never had a health doctor on. (laughs) And so of course I'm going to take full advantage of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and whenever I I give introduction, depending on who I'm speaking with, they're like, wait, you're in health and you're doing finances. I'm like, they're connected. I promise you, I would not be doing these like if it stressed me out. But I say that because um, there's a cycle a lot of us get in where, you know, we don't think about saving or we don't have the means because we don't have enough money to last till the end of the month to set aside extra. And then we don't always prepare for an accident, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because an accident is an accident. Um, But the, or just general health, because I also know several people don't go to their primary appointments or, you know, the annual appointments. I have friends my age who are like, I'm good. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You need to know your baseline. You can't know your baseline if you're not going every year. And it's covered with your insurance. If you have insurance, there's no reason why you're not making an appointment, at least for your annual, to make sure they're checking your numbers. Mm -hmm. So it always happens that if you're missing your appointment, and then all of a sudden you're not feeling well for whatever reason. And you go in for that extra appointment. Now it's going to cost you more. They have to do extra labs. Now you have new medication. Now you need to go to this specialist and that specialist. All of that is more money out your pocket. But now you're stressed because where's that money coming from? So are you going to have medical debt? Or are you going to go into like credit card debt? Like what's going to happen with this? Um, so us sometimes not being prepared leads us to more stress which leads to more health issues, which leads to more money issues. Like it's just a cycle. Um, And we need to make sure we're able to get off that cycle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you just hit on um, so many points. So I didn't tell you this, but (laughs) my background is in HR. And Uh right. (laughs) And being in HR, it amazed me how many people didn't take advantage of their work benefits. I'm like, (laughs) look let me tell you when I before I had my own um, business I was working for someone and and I was long-standing I wasn't like your typical I'm a I don't like using the term millennial but I'm like an older millennial you know because sometimes people judge folks when they hear millennial but I'm older millennial (laughs) um but I would be at the job and 
I'm going on vacation. I looked at my planner. I already know when I, even if it's a staycation, my soul told me when I need to go. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I need to leave. Like something's not right. I look at my calendar. I'm like, oh, I have a vacation schedule for next week. Mm-hmm. But so many of my coworkers would be like, how do you have time to go on vacation? Do they give me my benefits? Is it time to you? <laughs> <laughs> right. you know? And I'm like, you have the choice. We have the choice to and, and the right to use our benefits, but you have to make sure you have a plan on how you're going to use those benefits. It's not my fault if, if y'all see me and my patients would, would wait. Like my patients knew I was going on vacation. So they'll be like, when are you going to be back? No, I won't come in until you're back. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's fine. That's, that works. That works. But people knew that that was part of my self-care, which is my health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but look, in America, we are uh, workaholics. And there's no glory in that. I don't, I don't personally believe in the hustle uh, mentality, if you will. Like a healthy hustle, yes. But the hustle where you're staying up almost 24 hours because you're doing your nine to five and then working, you know, like when you see the different things mm-hmm. on social media, I'm like, please don't promote that. Because when you don't get sleep, your stress levels increase, your, immune, your immunity decreases, and now you have a higher risk of being sick. Right. And you definitely don't need that in the midst of COVID. <laughs> you don't, you know, so I always, I, and I'm, I'm random. I'm also a yoga teacher. So while I'm guiding my, my students, I say, stay on your mat. Don't worry about what your neighbors do. Well, this is, this is when we were in the studio. Obviously right now we're not, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not next to other people, but I'm like, stay, when people say like, stay in your lane for yoga, stay on your mat. Like w- how you show up today is how you show up today. Don't compare yourself to other people. And so whenever you see people posting things online, you don't know their lifestyle. You don't know if they're just posting it, just trying to motivate you, but they're really asleep. <laughs> they get mm-hmm. their six to eight hours of sleep every night. <laughs> you have to know you get that baseline. Right. And that is so important. And you know what? When I was in corporate, I definitely took my vacation days and my time off and everything like that. A lot of people don't. And I'm just like, if you knew, so when, when, a, when HR develops and compensation develops your compensation package, um, mm-hmm. like pretty much how much you get paid, they take into consideration those vacation days. Those are worth money to the company. And so when you don't take it, that means you're leaving some of your compensation on the table. And who wants to leave money on the table? <laughs> and, and my old job, which was rare, we had rollover for a PTO. So we didn't have to use it within the year. Like they capped you at a certain number of hours, which if I remember correctly, it was almost like two and a half months or three months, you know, it was like your max that you can save. But there were people who were, who were no longer accruing PTO because they never use the PTO. And I was saving my PTO like I would money. I would still spend it, but I had enough in case of emergency, which I had some emergencies arise. And luckily enough, I had plenty of PTO left over, but I never, I never let that benefit lapse because again, you get paid a certain salary, like you mentioned, because they put it in your package that mm, they're going to cost us this much when they're not making us money because they're on vacation Mm -hmm. so let's reduce their salary to this because it goes into the pto exactly exactly so i feel like that's very important for my audience to hear like guys do not work yourself to death 
please, 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 please take your time. And then also I wanted to hit on, um, so when I was in corporate, I was really good about this, but now as a full-time entrepreneur, I have (laughs) put all of that to the wayside and I feel like, and, and I've been, because a lot of people see me post on social media or hear me on the podcast or read my blog and everything. And they're like, oh, Tiffany, um, you know, she's putting out so much content. She's doing this, she's doing that. But lately I have been giving people the real, at least on my personal social media page, um, my personal Facebook. I'm like, look guys, the reason you're seeing all of this is because I am working like a slave pretty much. <laughs> like I am going so hard, but all you see is the polished part. You right. don't see everything that goes into it. And so I've been making it a point because social media can be like a highlight reel, you yeah. know? And so I'm trying to show people like, hey, this is what's really going on. Like my mental health. Um, my physical health, like all of these things um, play a part in what you're getting. (laughs) And yeah, but go ahead. So it takes, you know, it takes us five seconds to post. In fact, I just posted on my two different uh, business pages before we got on this interview. It took me five seconds to post, but it took me like 20 hours to figure out what do I want to post? You know, like (laughs) it's one of those things where, you know, it's yay is up. But I like you don't know the behind the scenes work, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're really consistent. Um, so and and we don't set boundaries. Not everyone initially. I remember whenever I uh, start working for myself for probably the first month or two, I I could not drag myself out out of the bed to mm-hmm. get up early. Now, mind you, for six plus years, for when I was employed by someone. I was probably late only twice. And that was just a simple little sleep because I would have to be at work by seven. So I'm leaving the house by, you know, six fifteen, six in case of traffic. So two times and I missed it by like, you know, 15 minutes. My patients were fine. It worked out. But over six years, you know, two times I was up there and I'm a night owl. So when I had my freedom, but <laughs> I came freedom and I realized, oh, I have to create my time schedule. I have to be responsible to myself because, you know, when you're employed, you have a boss, you have HR, like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to do what you need to do. But when you are self-employed, you're like, Oh, who, who, who going to tell on me? <laughs> you, know, right? you have more accountability <laughs> and it takes it takes sometimes it takes discipline granted i was recovering from burnout and you know, there's a lot of healthcare burnout there's a lot of burnout in a lot of fields but i realized later on i was recovering from burnout which is why my body was like just rest you'll get it done but just rest and i had that ability that i didn't have to stress right away when I finally full-time left my job because I had savings. So, you know, that cushion provided me that opportunity to let my body heal. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I tell people once you get your finances in order, it gives you a new sense of freedom. Like the only reason I was able to leave corporate twice (laughs) 
was because I had a finan- a good financial footing. Because a lot of people stay at their jobs and be and are miserable because they need the paycheck, they need the money. But when you take that out of the equation, it allows you to freely look at, okay, why am I really here? Why am I really at this job? Do I really enjoy this or am I doing this for a paycheck? And in my situation, you know, I enjoyed what I did, but I was really there for a paycheck (laughs) at the end of the day. And for me, the environment, um, so like I have a, there was a company with several clinics, depending on which clinic you're lucky to go to, you know, the environment was going to be different. And there was like a change of leadership all like from two or three levels up where it was just all of a sudden this change. And look, I don't do micromanagement. Like that's just, I, I'm, I'm not good with micromanagement, but <laughs> I mean, like, I'm a good employee, but people mm-hmm. don't know like, give me the task, I'll get it done, but don't, please don't follow up with me like, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really had to have a lot of conversations with myself. Like, am I doing this? Am I, am I delaying leaving because of the security of a full-time job? Am I delaying leaving because of the fear of the unknown, right? Because all my life, family has worked in jobs from like for corporate corporations or like my dad was in the Air Force. So those are established businesses with established benefits. So I really had to sit down and ask myself, am I doing this just because? Am I truly, is is this life? Is this life that I'm supposed to expect this for the rest of my life just because you're at work more times than you're at home. Mm-hmm. So I'm miserable at work. And it got to the point where my friends had to like kind of mention, Amber, you know, you never used to talk about work. You're talking about every single day we're on the phone. I'm like, am I? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> it took that moment for me to be like, oh, I am miserable. I'm, I'm bringing work into my personal. Like I'm miserable. So I, I had to take the, I had to take the leap, but you have to provide yourself with that opportunity to say, okay, if I'm needing to leave, cause you don't make money the first day you leave your job. Right. So right. <laughs> you need to make sure you know your numbers, just like I mentioned with health, the same thing with your finances or your wealth, you need to know what number, what your numbers are, the baseline for you to survive you know, for three to six months. I personally like a year, but I understand different situations. You, you know, you won't make it a whole year at the job. So that's when you really cut down on all your expenses and see like, what's the bare minimum I need. And this is if you're deciding like, I, I can't do this longevity. I can't do this. I can't see myself 50 working here feeling this way. Hmm. If you're in that situation, make a plan, write it out. That way you know how to navigate that roadmap. Exactly, exactly. And if you don't, if you truly do not know how to navigate, you can hire a money coach like (laughs) me and Dr. Amber. (laughs) Help you along that journey because sometimes when you're in a thick of it, you're like, I'm stuck here forever. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need that unbiased person when they look at it, I'm like, oh, girl, you're eating out for $300 a month. Is it just you? That's exactly. Like, I, mean, I don't spend 300, but sometimes I'm ashamed of how much I eat cook or eating out. I'm like my waist and wallet would enjoy it if I cook more at home. But so I have the ability to look at my stuff now and be able to say, ah, you're stressed. I could tell by how I'm spending. So sometimes when it's your first time actually taking a look at your money, 
and your spending habits, if you have that person who you don't mind sharing, because you don't know us. So even if it's one of those things, because, you know, for some people, it's like what state goes on in the house stays in the house. Um, so if you don't want to share it with friends or family members, hire one of us to take a look because we don't know you like that. We, we will get to know you, but not like all your friends to be sharing business, right? Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> all that fear. And we could look at it and say, huh, so why is this line number this, like what all are you spending? And then that will bring it to your, your attention and you'll understand like, oh, now, now let's have an action plan for how we could kind of decrease. It is not a forever thing. Mm-hmm. Some, a lot of stuff is just temporary till we can get you to where you're going. And then go back up. Exactly. Short-term sacrifice for long-term gains. So yeah. I want to kind of transition, I guess, semi away from the health aspect, because I think we've, we've nailed that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I want to get into your money story a little bit, um, because before we got on, you mentioned that um, you had to deal with the passing of your parents, yeah. but the flip side of that is they had set you up for generational wealth. And so I just wanted to um, touch on that just a little bit. Yeah. So I'm I'm not going to take 30 minutes, I promise. But (laughs) when I was just in first grade, um, there was a program between my elementary school and our local, one of our local banks where we could open up a savings account. And the um, like I actually found my old ledger when I was cleaning up like my childhood home out. and it was like every other Friday, you know, deposit of 25 cents um, one Friday where it was like, I was, I was big baller. Like it was $4, you know, so, <laughs> but that was my introduction to like, okay, when you deposit this and then, you know, keep track of it here. And that was in first grade. So my brother and I were 18 months apart. We always had chores, um, Starting, I want. I know for sure by third grade, we were doing our own laundry, not our parents' laundry, because you know they were like, "You're not gonna mess up our stuff." But we were doing <laughs> our own laundry. Um, we already knew how to pick out our clothes and iron for the week. I think that was the military side. Um, but it just also made life smooth, like during the week. And we learned how to cook basic meals. My dad always said he wanted his goal for us was to be self-sufficient. You know, you'd never know what's going to happen to anyone. And they didn't want something to happen to them. And then we were kind of just stuck, if you will. So our, my parents always made decisions along life. And, and <laughs> I was talking to someone, they're like, wow, you had a really strict household. I'm like, we really didn't though. Like, it was just so smooth. There was, it wasn't, you know, it was just Saturday morning comes on, you hear the good music play, you know, it was cleanup day. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like that good music. So, so I, over the years, um, we were able to learn different responsibilities. And then um, from almost fourth to, I want to say eighth grade, our parents said our job was our school, our education. So for every A we received, we got a dollar. Um, they didn't reward for Bs, right? Like there was no punishment. Our punishment kind of was no dollar. So of course we're going to work for it. <laughs> Um, and plus they knew that we were smart. So that's one thing, especially in a lot of our schools, when some people are failing or, or quote unquote struggling, they're not really struggling. They're just smart and they're not being challenged. That's a whole nother topic we could talk about later. Um, so that was kind of our thing that we were getting, you know, dollars for our A's and we got allowance based off age and we had to manage our money. So if I wanted a new CD or if I want a new 
you know, recipe for easy bake oven. That was my money. <laughs> right? The good old easy bake oven. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the new ones. They uh-uh. have great upgrade. I think they like stainless steel now. I'm like, nah. That's what? <laughs> that's we had how- plastic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that could melt if you didn't do it right. Right, with the light bulb. Right. <laughs> like, when you stop and think about it, you're like, that really wasn't a safe toy. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, so that helped us learn delay of gratification. Could our parents easily have bought the stuff? Yeah, but we have money. So we also have responsibility for like Christmas gifts or birthday gifts for each other, for my brother and myself, because they didn't make it a requirement that we bought them like, you know, fancy gift for even Mother's Day, but we did Mother's Day, Father's Day. Um, But it was our responsibility to make sure we had enough money to buy the gifts for Christmas and buy each other's birthday gifts. And, you know, we weren't buying, like, I wasn't buying my brother a game system. I might buy him a game. Um, he wasn't buying me, like, a whole Barbie set or a whole, you know, we, we played Star Wars and Ninja Turtles, all that stuff. He wasn't buying me, like, the big money stuff. But as a child, he could easily spend, like, the $20 because he knew how to save it. And so that was kind of our introduction to just financial management um, so that when we finally started getting our, our real jobs in high school, we weren't just out here spending our money. And it wasn't, it wasn't a struggle because that was a habit that was ingrained in us since we were younger, that we knew that we were saving money and we had some play money. Um, so whenever I went to college and everything, like I was good financially with just managing it. My parents gave, uh, put me as an authorized user on their credit card uh, when I went to undergrad. One, I always tell people, you have to know your kids. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if your child just doesn't have like isn't that strong of a management like financial management uh, person, they're probably not going to be good for you to be an authorized user and give them a card. Exactly. But they gave me a card, and with that, I was it was for emergencies because I went to school out of state. It was for flights home because they wanted me to make sure I knew how to book a flight, right? Because you it sounds simple, but if you flash back, like most time you know your parents would do stuff for you, so you're like wait, I have to look at this and I have to see when I land here and do so, you know, you had to learn how to do that. And then I will use it for books for the semester. I didn't realize at that age that what my parents were doing, I thought it was just out of convenience or giving me a card, but they were giving me their credit. I inherited their credit. So that was really my first form of generational wealth that I didn't realize was happening was I was getting their credit because I was an authorized user on their card that they were paying for and never carried a balance. So, um, so yeah, that was my first journey. But fast forward to more recently, my father, my dad passed before I graduated with my doctorate. Um, and I went through the process with my mom. I've had several, I should say, my mom was the third oldest of nine. My dad was the third youngest of nine, different parts of Texas. They met at undergrad. Uh, so I have a large family. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've seen several people pass over the years. And um, with me working alongside my mom for helping settle my dad's portion of the estate, it was smooth. Like you never want to think about death as being smooth, but that really inspired me to get my, get all my stuff lined up. Right. Because, because we were organized, it gave us the opportunity to truly grieve. Um, We weren't having to figure out like, where's the will? Did he have a will? Did he hide all the documents here? here? Like, no, it, even how they had their account set up where it was, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so. 
having that versus the and is big. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people don't think about that because like, no, that's my money. They had a they had a joint account and they had separate accounts, but even on their separate accounts, they still had or in case of something like this. <laughs> so, um, so that was another part that helped me start thinking about generational wealth. Like, wow, this compared to, they, my mom didn't have to put a GoFundMe up. There's no, I'm not trying to shame anyone who uses GoFundMe, but if you see something that's like $10,000 goal, the family's not getting the full 10,000. There's fees with that. Right. And GoFundMe is not life insurance. It's not. (laughs) And, you know, so, so I always make sure I tell people I'm not shaming you. I just, because it's on social media, people think that's kind of the normal, like, no, no, no. (laughs) You know what? Also depending on people and hoping that they have enough people that can raise 10,000. Right. You want that to, right. You want that to be the exception, not the rule. Like Mm -hmm. if there's somebody that really wasn't prepared, um, then okay, go fund me. But you don't want that to be the go-to for everybody. That's not how it works. And insurance, whether it's car, whether it's life, doesn't matter. It's for the unexpected. Even though life insurance, we're all going to die. The thing is, we don't know when we're going to die. So we see children, unfortunately, who pass. And there's no life. And when when you're a kid, that's like the cheapest life insurance you can get. And I'll tell people, some cultures, like that's part of their baby shower gift they contributed to a child's life insurance. So think about that. The cost of us getting life insurance at this point compared to when we're kids is going to be more expensive because we're more likely to have health issues too. Um, So we're at a greater risk than a child if they were born healthy. So if family members, you know, here's a hundred dollars, here's if enough people put it together, I just bought my premium for my child. So If something happens to my child when they pass. Now, my parents, I don't believe they had life insurance on us when we were younger, but this is just something I've learned over the years. So if something happens to the parent and they pass, the child will, you know, have the parent's life insurance and all that. But if something unfortunately happens to the child, the parents are able to grieve and they're able to properly bury their child. I know it's morbid. People don't want to talk about it, but look, when you've gone through the grieving process, you don't want that extra stress of being like, how am I going to honor my loved one? Um, so fast forward to uh, a couple of years ago, my mom unexpectedly passed. Both of them were just unexpected, right? And so um, when that happened, I was still working full time. I was going back and forth to my childhood home, trying to help clean it out. It was just like a whole grieving process. Mm-hmm. But Again, I knew where everything was located. If we want to talk about racism and wealth, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yes, it is. Because <laughs> when, when I was going through like um, different processes to get things transferred to my name, the number of people who did not look like me, who were second guessing if the stuff was really mine. Mm. And I'm like, who are you? You know, my, my, my daddy was a Lieutenant Colonel Air Force. He retired. This is why I wanted to retire early too. He retired when he was 44 years old. Oh. And he retired when I was in the fifth grade. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I know it's possible. Cause then I also learned, I watched him learn investments and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. when you're grieving, you're just like, you're really going to question me about a car. Cause you don't think I deserve like you, you, here's the paperwork. Right. So wow. like I said, that's a whole nother whole another discussion and process, grieving process. Um, 
I did end up selling my childhood home. I know some people like keep the home, but it's in a city where really I knew emotionally going back to health emotionally, I wouldn't have felt comfortable renting it out to anyone. Mm. My parents bought it from the, like they built it, you know, they designed it and built it and we were the only ones who ever lived in it. So I just knew if I rented it out and I saw someone's, you know, kids drawing on the wall. Messing it up. Right. (laughs) So for my sanity, I did end up selling it, but I was able to invest it, like invest the funds. So it was still generational wealth. Right. Um, and, and so I want people, I want us as a whole to be proactive rather than reactive. My parents' decisions, and they learn along the way because, you know, down here in the South, nine kids on both sides, my grandparents didn't have the means to teach their kids how to be financially responsible. And nothing, I mean, they, they taught them so much more. They taught them resilience. They taught them all their foundational activities. But my parents made the decision like, hey, we want better for our children than what we have for ourselves. And so they, they made sure they put different things in place. And I want that for, I don't want that to be unusual for us. I want all of us to know that we're secure in our own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I want all of us to know, like, I was just so stressed and burned out. Like I mentioned earlier about the new management, they would ask me, why aren't you smiling? <laughs> because of y'all. No. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm not smiling. I'm like, first I'll say do the patient complain? Well, no, the patients love you. I'm like, am I, am I not going, turning in my notes on time? Oh no, you're always early. So what's the problem? You're just not smiling. I'm like, I'm grieving. <laughs> I'm, I'm grieving, you know? So after a while of that, where you're just like, y'all don't value me. Um, I'm like, I can't grieve and you have y'all asking why I'm not smiling and all this stuff. But that generational wealth gave me the opportunity. I was scared, right? Cause I'm always used to being at a secure job but it gave me the opportunity to be able to branch out my own company. And I also would have moms who um, already birthing individual who would come to my, to the, to my previous job and were unable to afford treatment, but they needed the treatment. And I knew that cycle would kick in, right? Like they're ha- they're coming in for pelvic pain or incontinence, but they can't get treatment because they don't have the funds. So now they're stressed and then it gets worse. And then, you know, that cycle that I said we need to get off of. And so I opened up my own private practice because I knew I could, I was already financially savvy. So I knew on the business sense, I could help out that way too. And I was able to develop my sliding scale and still survive right, for my businesses thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was just one of those things where I've just noticed over the years, where I'm like, Hmm, a lot of us don't have our, our foundation together. Right. And we're one accident away, one accident away, mm-hmm. you know, one, one grief away from something. For I know, sure. I, I know I was rambling. I'm sorry, but that was my long money story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that was good. There were so many good, um, tips and things that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet because I've, I've never gone through it. And right. so that's why for me, it's important to highlight people's money stories and you take as long as you need um, because somebody else that's listening might resonate with that. They might say, wow, like my parents, you know, maybe my mom or dad or whatever is you know, sick or going through some things, they may pass away soon. Let me go ahead. I listened to Dr. Brown today. Let me go ahead and get stuff in order just in case the unfortunate happens. Because what you don't want to happen is to get stuck 
Um, and then, you know, there's nothing like at that point, what, what, what can you do? Like you've already had the time that you were supposed to be getting things in order and things like that. And now that ish hits the fan for lack of a better terms, now you're like, Oh, let me pay attention. But now it's too late. And so I feel like that was super important to hit on. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Amber. Um, thank oh, you. So I want to say one more thing. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. Just, I, I want to make sure it's clear too. One other thing about my parents' decisions, um, which I, I always make sure people talk about, especially because uh, you mentioned this as far as uh, for those who still have their parents here, talk to them about their retirement numbers mm-hmm. because based off what I saw financially, my parents would not have had to depend on me. Would I have, as their daughter, stepped up and been like, no, I'm going to pay for this dinner? Yes, right? But they would not have required financial assistance from me if they had both reached, you know, well, my dad had already retired, but, you know, by the time my mom decided to retire, um, that's a big thing that a lot of us don't have that discussion. Like when, you know, so keep that in mind just to make sure like, do they know the retirement numbers? Do you know the retirement numbers? What, what shift needs to take place so that when they retire, it's not coming out of your pocket. Ooh, child. I am so glad you stopped me there because (laughs) (laughs) yes, that is a whole word. I tell people do not shy away from these conversations. Yes. You know, you don't want anything to happen or, you know, your parents might not even feel comfortable talking about this stuff with you, but it's your job and your duty to make sure the conversation happens. And I will say, just to add on to that, even as a spouse now, because I just got married in May, um, you know, I'm telling my husband, I'm like, you need life insurance. It's not like I'm trying to kill you, because that's, that's his thought. Right now, he's like, uh, are you cooking again? <laughs> right. That's his first thought. He's like, well, you know, you're trying to kill me? Like, what's going on? I'm like, no, it goes beyond that. Like, you know, if I was to die tomorrow, you would be straight. The kids would be straight. Um, And so I just want to make sure that either if, if anything was to happen, that we would be good like regardless of who left, like we would be good as a unit. And so um, still working on that, but. <laughs> tell, them, tell them this, you know, it, it's, it's for, it's for the future. Cause mm-hmm. he doesn't want you guys struggling. If something unfortunately would happen to him, um, like he, he can't do anything. Right. And mm-hmm. you're not getting any money. Like, but if something happened to you, he would get money. That's not me telling him anything, you know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Like, don't think (laughs) But he should think about it that way. And again, there's so many different policies out there that doesn't have to break the bank. Right. Like, think, just think about the future. Think about that generational wealth, um, especially that'll help support the kids. Exactly. Exactly. So that is a good note to end on. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for being on again. This was awesome and much needed, especially for my listeners, um, because you know, it's predominantly, you know, minority audience. And so this is information and conversations that we need to have and we do not need to shy away from. So Dr. Brown, where can they find you if they want to learn more about you? Yes. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook as care, the number four you first. So care for you first. Um, and I also have a, like a, a coaching practice for business and personal because I work a lot with a lot of entrepreneurs uh, who need to understand their finances. <laughs> but like there's 
bunch of links on Instagram that we can definitely connect. And I have a free uh, wealth foundation template. So like, it's, again, know your baseline numbers. Um, and that's, that's free for everyone to just kind of calculate everything, get their net worth and all that fun stuff. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to moneytalkwitht.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter so you'll never miss an episode. Talk to you soon.